Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale presents. You are listening to the Orbiting Human Circus of the Air. Was the night before Christmas when all through Perry not a creature was singing, not even a flea? The lights had been out in the great Eiffel Tower for the better part of nearly one half an hour. The tap-dancing mice nestled snug in their beds, while visions of camembert pranced in their heads, and the janitor dozed in his janitor's cot, dreaming of radio shows and what not. When down from below there arose such an uproar, he sprang to his feet and ran straight to the back door. On to the girders he flew like a cat, peered over the edge, and he thought, what is that? The moon shining bright on the banks of the Seine dazzled his sleep-crusted eyes. Ah, but then what to his sleep-crusted eyes did come forth but the great recitating platypus of the north? He usually visits the ill and infirm to cure their afflictions and banish their germs. But why had he come? No one was sick. Was the platypus playing the part of St. Nick? The sack on his back made the janitor wonder. Was he bringing the cast and the crew yuletide plunder? Marching on leathery flippers he came, and he quacked and he shouted and called them by name. Now Letitia, now Coco, now Mr. Chenard, now Jacques, now John Cameron, you saucy old card. To the top of the tower, to the ballroom I go. Now here I come, here I come, on with the show. Then as fast as a diva might fly off the handle, he soared like the flames of a lit Roman candle, and up, up the tower the platypus flew, with a sack full of toys and a singing saw, too. The janitor turned and raced in like a blur to the ballroom to witness what next would occur. As he entered and parted the red velvet drapes, he gasped when he saw the great platypus drapes on to the stage with his waddling feet, and the janitor turned quite as white as a sheet, his eyes growing glazed with a glossy enamel at the sight of the magical egg-laying mammal. His fur, how it sparkled, his duck-bill, how charming, his feet like an otter's, his face, how disarming, his humongous beaver-tail wagged to and fro, and the top of his head was all dusted with snow. The stump of a stogie he held in his paw, much like the janitor's own great-grandpa. He had a broad face and a prodigious torso that shook like a bowl full of jelly, but more so. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old beast, and though rather hairy, not unkempt in the least. A wink of his eye and a smile of his bill let the janitor know that he meant him no ill. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his duty, and filled all the stockings with holiday booty, and laying his flipper aside of his beak, he zoomed out of the room like a great furry streak. The janitor watched as he sprang to the air, 
leaving no trace but a few tufts of hair. But he heard him exclaim ere he shot out of sight, The orbiting human circus wishes you a good night. Welcome to the Orbiting Human Circus Holiday Vacation. This episode isn't a part of the story of the Orbiting Human Circus and Naughty Till New Year's. We just thought it'd be fun to pause and share a few holiday songs and stories and celebrate with you. You just heard an all-new, very Orbiting Human Circus adaptation of the poem A Visit from St. Nicholas, called A Visit from the Platypus, written and performed by our very own Drew Callender, who plays the narrator here on the Orbiting Human Circus. Up next, a message and a song from Julian. Hello, this is Julian Coster. Um, this song that you're about to hear was recorded in my grandmother's living room. Um, my grandmother was, in so many ways, my guardian angel, and she was, uh, oh boy, I think she was one of the most special people ever to walk the face of the earth. She was such an, an original thinker and original human and um i would take up the whole episode if i started talking about her uh suffice to say that i miss her um very very much and um part of what makes this recording so special to me now is is that it was recorded um in her living room and uh, it was recorded at holiday time um and the other part that makes it so special to me um, was that it was, of course, my uncle uh, recording it on the accordion, playing it on the accordion, and um, my uncle uh, is also no longer with us in body, um, but he's still with us in accordion, um, and uh, which is very appropriate because my, my uncle very much lived through the accordion, uh, in large part, I'd say. Um, one of my uh, favorite things about my uncle, uh, whose name was Evan Harlan, um, was uh, that he would sometimes wear this big oven mitt uh, around the house as a hat. So he'd have kind of this wonderful oven mitt hat on his head all the time and he'd be playing the accordion and sometimes improvising on the piano uh so this is a klezmer song that he taught me um or i should say taught north the singing saw um who accompanies him and uh i guess if you want you can picture him with uh um the big oven mitt on his head as a hat because that's how i like to picture him but he was a really wonderful guy, and uh, uh, my grandma and my aunt were listening, and um, so here is the recording that was made um, a long, long time ago uh, of a song called Hasidim Tans. Uh, thank you for listening, and um, happy holidays uh, to all of you. Thank you. 
We'll be back with more of our holiday special in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little more about our beloved narrator, Drew Callender, who wrote and performed the poem you heard earlier. Drew and his wife, Alana Harrison, are also authors, and the latest book in their series, Mightier Than the Sword, just came out last month. If you're a fan of the Orbiting Human Circus, you'll love Mightier Than the Sword. It's about you. Yes, you. You are a real human being trapped in a fictional world. That means everything you write or draw or scribble comes to life. And not only do you get to be the main character, you also get to write in the book. So whether you're 8 or 80 or just grew up in the 80s, it's a hilarious adventure, so go grab yourself a copy. Or two, Mightier Than the Sword, the first book, and the sequel, Mightier Than the Sword, The Edge of the Word. And it makes a great gift for you last-minute holiday shoppers. Music from the Orbiting Human Circus and Naughty Till New Year's is being released by Merge Records including the quartet version of Into the River Thames, The Old Seagull Explains. Available beginning on December 23rd, 2019 on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Bandcamp, and more. And yes, that pronunciation is intentional. So look for this and more from the Orbiting Human Circus to come on your favorite digital music service provider. So while this episode isn't a part of our main story, in the spirit of holiday games, we did want to offer a little clue about what's to come. We wanted to play you this story, which some of you already know now, not only because it takes place during the holidays, but because if you listen closely, you will notice that the story is being told in a cafe. Well, the clue is that very cafe is going to become very important to the Orbiting Human Circus later this season and beyond. But for now, sit back and enjoy First Night. And without further ado, we give you our feature presentation, First Night. I'm going to tell you about this kid. So you know those places on, on, on Park Avenue, those, those beautiful mansions like, you know, the Morgan Library or something like that. Well, this kid lived in one of those places. But he doesn't even know he's living in a mansion on Park Avenue. He's that sheltered. All he knows is his aunt and his servants. This kid sees New York through a succession of windows. His big Park Avenue mansion or the windows of the limousine that takes him on the rare occasions that they let him out of the house. So this kid, Alistair, was like, Six years, I don't know, eight years old. The parents died in a car accident. The ants got all these rules and regulations. It's not like the ants a bad person. She loved the kid. I mean, the kid was all she had. But you'd never know it by, by seeing the way she treated him. And of course, he'd never know it. Okay, so it's Christmas Eve, and she's going to bring out the box. Now, the box... Once a year, it's like a ceremony. They open up the safe, they bring out the box. And to the kid, the box seems like it's magic. This is the one thing that his aunt is going to actually touch. She opens up the box. What's in the box? Beautiful glass things that are going to hang on the friggin' tree. And, and the thing about these ornaments are, 
I don't know, it's probably, you know, the father's or the father's father's. Obviously, it's been passed down through the family, and it means something to her. I mean, she don't even let the servants touch them. They do everything around the house, but not this, not on Christmas Eve. Okay, so now the ornaments are out, and they bring in a ladder, and the aunt gets on the ladder. I mean, this is the only work she does all year. She gets on the ladder and starts hanging these little glass ornaments. And God forbid you get near one of these things. She'll rip your head off. And with each glass ornament she puts up there, it's like she's melting. It's like this ice queen, little by little, is thawing out. And when she's finally got that last ornament up, she looks over her work And she exhales and she says, now it's Christmas. And that's the one moment every year that the kid Alistair lives for. And there's one more thing. One year she actually let the kid out of the house and they drove to Herald Square. And I think it was, uh, I I don't think it was Macy's, I think it was Gimbel's. And they're shopping in Gimbel's and the kid looks up Who's there? Santa Claus. And she actually let the kid get in the line and wait there with other kids his age. And after maybe 15, 20 minutes, finally was his turn. So little Alistair sits down on Santa's lap. And what does Santa say to the kid? You're a good boy. That's it. You're a good boy. Just you're a good boy. And the funny thing is that no one has ever told Alistair that he was a good boy, no one. So you can see why Christmas is everything to this kid. So they brought in this huge, huge Christmas tree every year. The favorite thing this kid can do is to climb under this massive tree and just be next to all the presents. Now, the kid's got a sneak and get under there because the aunt has been telling him a million times, don't go near the tree, don't go near the tree. But he's small, so he can get in there, and he does it every year. So this kid's under the tree now, and something's not right. He's feeling woozy, and he knows he's not supposed to be under the tree to begin with. So the kid gets up, loses his balance, and he knocks into the tree, and this is one of those big, rich people trees. And the thing comes falling down, and it just smashes Every ornament, every ornament on that thing. And he's standing there, and the ant is is sputtering. She's making these wheezing sounds. She says, you ruined Christmas. And she sends him to bed. On Christmas Eve, no less. And he drifts off to sleep. But it's a fevered sleep. And the ant's not heartless. She goes and feels his head, and it's burning, and she feels horrible. The kid has got 103 degrees fever, and she's a rich person. What does she do? She calls in a medical team. The doctors and nurses say, yeah, the kid is really sick, and she's got a problem. So he's laying in bed, 103 degree fever. He's having these horrible dreams, that maybe he did actually ruin Christmas. 
and he actually dreams that his aunt let him go and play with some kids. And he goes out and starts playing with the kids, and they all turn on him. They shun him because he's the kid that ruined Christmas. And he wakes up in a cold sweat. It's 5 a.m. in the morning. He wants his Christmas. He's still in kind of a feverish state, and he just walks into the living room. And instead of seeing the tree, he sees all this weird medical equipment, and there's no Christmas there. And he doesn't know what's going on. Goes downstairs, he opens up the door of the mansion, and he looks out, and there in the gutter is his Christmas tree and all the ornaments. And he goes out, which takes a lot of guts for this kid. And there's all these Christmas trees laying in the street like garbage. And he thinks, it's all his fault. And now he's really going crazy. And he starts walking a couple of blocks away. And he goes past an all-night diner. And there's a guy outside. And he's taking down all the Christmas decorations and the wreaths and everything. And the kid goes up to him and says, what are you doing? It's Christmas. And the guy goes, Christmas is over, kid. Good riddance. And he looks at him and he says, where's your mother? kid runs off and now he starts wandering around the city and this kid has never done that before and he turns into an alley and what does he see a guy is laying there passed out filthy cold shivering curled up in a fetal position and the kid looks and he goes it's santa claus okay the thing is it's December 29th. The kid has been sick. He's been sedated for four days. But he thinks it's Christmas morning. And the kid thinks he's found Santa Claus passed out in an alley. And he thinks it's his fault. He put him there. But what he's really found is me. You know, most of the derelicts wound up on the Bowery. But hey, I love Times Square. So I wake up, and what do I find? There's a blanket on me. There's a hamburger from Needix and an orange aid. Now, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I ate half the hamburger. I pulled the blanket over me, and I went back to sleep. So I wake up again. What's there? Breakfast. What the hell is going on? And then I find a note. I can't really hardly read it. It's like a crazy person wrote it. And it says, The world needs you. We all need you. And it... And this kid comes out. And he's talking to me. He's pleading with me. And I can't make out head or tail of what this guy's saying. And this kid keeps on apologizing to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And suddenly it dawns on me. This kid thinks I'm Santa Claus. I mean, yeah, I got the white beard, but I'm a Jew. And I also realized that this kid has been running around stealing stuff from me. And I'm looking at him and, hey, to me, he doesn't look right. He's pale He's sweating. The kid's sick. So I ask the kid where he lives. And he keeps apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I got to get this kid home. And he keeps telling me to go home to the North Pole. And he's getting flush. And I didn't realize that he's like 
passing out. And I take him around a corner to the 18th precinct. And I lay him on his steps. I ring the bell. And I run. I mean, I just don't like police stations. So I go back to my cardboard box. And for some reason, I can't stop thinking about this kid. And the next morning, I look at the Daily Mirror. And there's a big headline. Runaway rich kid found. And there's his picture on the cover of the Daily Mirror. And there's a picture of where the kid lives. And it's that big mansion on Park Avenue. And it says in the story that the kid might not make it. And look, I know you can't believe all the shit you read in the paper. So I find myself walking over to Park Avenue. I go to the servant's entrance, of course. And I knock. So the head of the kitchen answers the door. She thinks I came for a handout. And I tell her my story, and now she thinks I'm here for a really big handout. So she goes to get the ant, but meanwhile, I'm grilling the other servants to find out how the kid is. And they tell me that the kid is in some delirium, and he just keeps talking about Christmas, Christmas, and no one understands. So I split. Now, I got a brother-in-law in Jersey City. He does demolition and stuff like that. So I get on a train and, and go out there. I go to his house, I get cleaned up a little bit, and I do a day's work. And I go to one of those, you know, uh, costume shops they have there. And I say to the guy, uh, you got a Santa costume? And what do you know? It's half price. So I change into the thing right there in the shop. I get on a bus, and everybody's looking at me like I'm just crazy. And I'm giving them all a finger. So I march right up to the house. I knock on the door of the service entrance. I demand to see the aunt. She looks distraught. And I tell her I need to see the kid, and I don't even wait for an answer. I go find where he is. So I go up to him, and I put on my best Santa voice. And I tell him I'm going to go straight to the North Pole, and I'm going to bring Christmas back. And I tell the kid everything he wants to hear. And the aunt is in the doorway the whole time, and she's watching this. She turns around and she runs off and she grabs every servant in the house. And all of a sudden she's like Stalin. She's giving out orders to everybody. She's got the whole place in an uproar. And in five minutes, she's got them bringing in a tree. And she makes a Christmas for that kid like you would not believe. She makes a Christmas for that kid. And I slip out the back door. The kid got better. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus of the air. And now we take you from New York back to Paris. Back to the top of the Eiffel Tower, to the broadcast ballroom, backstage where we find the stagehands working late at night. They pause and find themselves singing a holiday song. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is Mother and 
Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I hope hey. it's snowing where you are. Get yeah. some mistletoe. <laughs> Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Yule. Yule. And solstice. Oh, yeah, solstice. Don't Winter forget about solstice. that. Winter solstice. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Eat good food, whatever. Happy holidays. Orbiting Human Circus is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. This special holiday episode featured Larry Ratso Sloman in First Night, Drew Callender in A Visit from the Platypus, North the Singing Saw and Julian's Uncle Harlan, and in the stagehand scene, Susanna Flood, David Barlow, Dan Solomon, Mickey Braden, Nicholas Carter, and Julian Coster. It also featured, as many episodes do, musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes. It was written and directed by Julian Coster and produced by Christy Gressman, with additional music by The Music Tapes and additional production and mixing by Will Stanton. For more information and full credits, go to orbitinghumancircus.com. Thank you for spending this holiday episode with us. We'll see you in the new year. <laughs>